to Crimes from the East. I'm your host Pia and with me is um, Euro Traveler, Alex. Welcome back, Alex. The Bard. Hey! <laughs> Alex the Bard. How have you been? Oh man, you know, summer is in full swing. Everyone's getting mm-hmm. COVID and having a good time. Everyone. <laughs> Including me. <laughs> <laughs> How are you feeling? You recovering well? Man, I um, went to a wedding a couple of weeks ago, had a great time, thought I was being good because it was all outdoors, came back, yeah. thought I had the hangover of my life, turns uh-huh. out it was just COVID. Oh, so that was like a wedding favor you got. <laughs> exactly. Bath <laughs> salts, like very, very cute, floral, delicious bath salts and, and COVID. COVID. <laughs> <laughs> that seems to be the case at every wedding I've heard of in the last couple of years. Anyone who goes to a wedding is guaranteed. 100% you're going to get COVID. It's the hot thing to have. I'm very glad you got the mild version and you didn't lose your sense of smell and taste because that is the scariest part. Yeah. Apart from the not being able to breathe thing. Yeah. Of course. Right. But losing your sense of smell and taste. Oof. That's horrific to me. Like, I can't imagine it. I don't eat to live. I live to eat. You do live to eat. Yeah, me too. If I lost, yeah, I would not have been pleased. And I've heard that the before time, pre-vax times, people were losing their taste and it wasn't coming back all the time. I'm glad you didn't have to go through that. So, yeah. oh, by the way, let's talk about uh, the country you visited yes. with your family last week. Ooh, you go? this was fun. I think I sent you a photo. I visited a mm-hmm. chapel of bones. God damn it. Okay, Portuguese listeners, I'm sorry. I'm trying here. It was Uma Capela de Dos Osos. Dos Orsos? Dos Osos. Dos Orsos. Okay. How do you say the name of the country? Is it Portugal or Portugal? Oh, I don't know. Oh, yikes. Portugal. 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 Anyways, yeah, it was really cool. So all over the country, apparently, they have these bone chapels where volunteers, they say that people volunteered their bones after they died to their church or to their cult or whatever the sect was Hmm. that they belonged to. And they would actually take the bones, prepare them, and then build these chapel rooms out of bones so it's just skulls and femurs and the whole thing are just bones that are stacked on top of each other and basically wow. cemented together it was ooky spooky dooky all right that's pretty goth yeah <laughs> and the whole point is that you're supposed to go in there and contemplate your death and like you know think about your next life and what are you doing to make sure you that god takes you or whatever there's nothing more direct and in your face than a couple skulls. <laughs> when you look at it, you're like, whoop, I got one of those inside me. Yikes. Makes you think about life. Yeah. Did you get to eat something really delicious? Like what you eat in Portugal? I bet mm. their cuisine is amazing. It's pretty good, but it's definitely uh... meat heavy. No. What is it? I feel like a lot of people might not go for it. It is pretty meat heavy. It is pretty mm-hmm. fish heavy. And it's... It's not very complicated. Like, it's not... Okay. At least what I tried, there was nothing crazy going on. Like, Indian people would probably find this food challenging. Indian people would be like, where's the garam masala? We need to sprinkle exactly. some, some, some mirti all over this. Where's the salt was sort of the, like, question of the trip. Because I went with my brother, my who's, like, pretty Indian. 
Yeah, and a big foodie. Big foodie, And yeah. then my mom, who has been living in India for the last six months, and, you know, she's she's Indian. Um, and they were both just like, where's the where's salt? Where's the flavor? Where's the flavor? Where's the salt? Yeah. And we were eating at restaurants a lot, and I feel like, in as a general rule, when you eat at restaurants a lot, you're not tasting what people are eating every day. You're tasting sort of like the specialties. Right. Like even in France, it seems super meat and bread and carb heavy. But I think when you go into a, like a French family's home, what they're eating mostly are vegetables. Mm. And it's like in India, we're not eating butter chicken every day, <laughs> like not even every week. Butter chicken and not every day. I wish we could. I wish we could, but you can't. It's <laughs> terribly unhealthy. Speaking of home cooking, we both have cooks at home right now, don't we? We both have our moms at home. <laughs> My mom's here. We have to watch what we say. <laughs> My mom's here after like two years and the whole time, every day, you know, we talk on the phone and she's like, oh, I can't wait. I can't wait to spend time with my grandchild. It's been a week and I think she's already questioning her decision to come here. <laughs> because my toddler has no chill. There is no medium in her life. She's got two gears. It's just zero to a hundred. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad to have my mom here because it gives me a little bit more time to write and edit and do all of the other stuff I need to do for the podcast. So, you know, better her than me. <laughs> <laughs> It'll keep her young. What have you been doing? I feel like we haven't talked in so long. We haven't recorded in a while. We haven't recorded in three weeks. So we're going out, taking my kid to the park, the splash pad, all kinds of things. Just being out and about when there's sunshine because I live in New England. And six <laughs> months of the year, it's freaking cold and gray and you don't want to go out. So summertime is when, when we live, really. Yeah. And I've been playing a game. For like the past couple of weeks. Ooh, tell it. me loving about it. it. What game? I'll tell you what it is in a little bit. First, I want to tell you what I've realized after playing this game that humanity is doomed. Okay. That's the feeling I'm getting out of it because some of these <laughs> players have no patience. They play like they're on some kind of uppers and they're just like buzzing around at full speed. It's a co-op game. So you're playing okay. as part of a team. Yeah. And if even one thing goes wrong, like if you drop something, they just quit the game. Oh, my God. They'll stand there, moan, scream, and quit the game. And I'm like, what? Come on. So what? We can fix this. Let's do it together as a team. And they're like, no. <laughs> F*** it. I quit. And they quit. Are these Zoomers? I'm very worried for our species. <laughs> <laughs> what generations are we talking here? I think it's mixed. I have no idea. So the game is overcooked, too. Okay. <laughs> That's what I'm Ooh. playing. Is it about cooking? Yes, it oh, is a my. super cute cooking co-op game. You're basically chefs in all different themed restaurants, and you have to make, you know, make the dishes what? that the customers the diners are asking for and it's of course set to a clock you have to cook like i don't know 20 dishes in three minutes and you can burn down the kitchen if you go wrong and all kind of things I can go wrong need this game oh my god it sounds so much fun i am addicted i am addicted yeah if anyone's playing overcooked too you can find me there can i play this on a computer i'm so game stupid i don't know 
they have it on Steam. Steam. I played on um the PlayStation. Yeah. I played on PS5, but I know they have it on Switch and Xbox and pretty much everything. Here. Can you see it? Oh my god, it looks so fun. <sighs> you can throw things at each other, you know, to be really swift. Fast. Like you need to chop here, chop this. Here, wash these plates. And so people who play like crazy, they're literally throwing like fruits and cucumbers at your head and I'm like, stop it. It's so annoying. <laughs> and you have to catch it right Mm -hmm. you can catch it but if you're looking at it if you're not it's just hitting you in the head (laughs) and then people quit (laughs) people quit so if you don't take the food out of the oven in time there's a fire in the kitchen and now you have to go find a fire extinguisher and put it out and start all over and people lose it if you cause a fire they'll be like i quit oh my gosh And you have like these weird settings too. Like right now, where are we? In Venice or something. You're cooking on a barge. There's a sushi level. There's an Italian level. There's a beach level. There's a smoothie What's this level? Is this swamp food? Yes, there's a whole swamp theme. I love that. It's Cajun. (laughs) Food in the swamp. There's a monsters (laughs) level like zombies are coming, breaking down your door and you have to feed them really quick or or they take over your kitchen. Oh, do you get to cook brains and stuff? No, no, no. The dishes are all normal food. (laughs) Oh, well, I want to feed zombies brains. This is what I've been addicted to for the past couple weeks. Okay, well, looks amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so after being really worried about humanity. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. That's what got you worried. I thought, you know what, I'm, let's not do violent crime for our next episode. So after the huge success of the Padmanabhaswami Temple episode, by the way. Yeah. I thought, what? let's continue on with the theme of wealth worth billions of dollars. I was like, people like this. Okay, let's go. And I feel like India is rich with stories like this. <laughs> Very rich. <laughs> All of South Asia. But this time, however, it was a huge loss. Instead of an exciting discovery of a treasure. So um, at least they had the money to lose it in the first place. So that's good. That's good. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. So let's download into our minds the infamous 2016 cyber heist from the Bank of Bangladesh. Okie dokes. When cyber thieves attempted to steal a billion US dollars from the bank. And they actually carted off 81 million US dollars. Hey, they got close i mean they got something 81 million dollars i've never seen that much money in my whole life (laughs) not close but they did pretty well (laughs) they did good one of the sources for today's episode is a documentary called hacked and also some really informative articles from indian express and wired.com darknet diaries is a techie crime podcast that covers a lot of cd yeah tech related yeah, yeah. crimes and shenanigans and they did an episode on this as well i haven't heard the episode just yet but i plan to cyber crimes like i don't think we've covered cyber crime so far have we no, no we haven't Mm-mm. so something new something new today so have you ever encountered cyber crime in your life recently of several people that i know here in france have been hacked and had money like taken out of their accounts you're kidding me. Yeah. What? Mm-hmm. 
Oh my God. It's really scary because here you're not, I feel like you're not as guaranteed as in the US. Like if your bank Mm -hmm. card gets stolen and money gets taken out, you call the bank and the bank doesn't like charge you the money usually in the US, right? But here Mm -hmm. you actually have to fight a case to not have to lose your money. So wow, wow, wow. I bet it's Indian, guys. Oh, no, I don't know that. I don't know that. But there has been like a theory circulating that, you know, it's an off offshore hackers. More likely that they are. <laughs> More likely that they are. And I mean that as the biggest compliment. We have very talented computer scientists. <laughs> scientists. Yes, lots of very, very intelligent computer scientists in South Asia. Today's case isn't money being stolen from an individual. It's money stolen from a central bank of a country. And that is... Ballsy. Worrying. Ballsy and worrying because the central bank of any country is responsible for all the monetary policies in the country. Yeah. Right? They're the banker to the government. They're usually wholly owned by the government. Basically, the economy. The crime is being committed against the government yeah. of a country, which is, which is much bigger than, you know, just stealing from a person's account. They've got some guts and they clearly don't give a shit what happens. And we'll find out why, why they don't give a shit. So there were nearly 50,000 cyber crimes reported in India in 2020. So that gives you some kind of idea of how big this problem really is. Mm -hmm. And this is just crimes that were detected, (laughs) right? 50,000 crimes were detected and after detection were actually reported. Mm -hmm. How many have gone undetected? We don't know. (laughs) Probably hundreds more, hundreds and thousands of more. Question. Mm -hmm. Cybercrime means like the whole range of crimes you can commit (laughs) cybertronically, right? Yes. Any kind of crime over electronic media. So it could be hacking. It could be blackmailing. It could be sharing pictures or, you know, yeah. media you don't have rights to. All that kind of stuff. Okay. Trafficking and whatever. Black market stuff. Yes. Okay, cool. Possession of media that is illegal. All of that stuff. So that's what we're talking about with that number that you just gave. Yes, 50,000 cybercrimes that were reported. So it's obviously part of the criminal lifestyle these days. Mm -hmm. But if you grew up in the 80s and the 90s, the whole concept of cybercrime hackers and and such was a total novelty because it was was nascent, right? It was very like sci-fi futuristic, like. Yeah, because at that point, not everybody had the internet. I don't think there was an internet really in the 80s. I think it just started in the 90s where the public that were now connecting to the internet, which was originally a defense project, right? right? It was a network in the U.S. Department of Defense. So all of a sudden, we had exciting movies and TV shows about cybercrime, which were so awfully inaccurate (laughs) and cheesy in their depictions of hacking. Like, people literally thought all hacking meant was you get to that enter password screen, type something, blah, 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 and bam, you're in. I'm in. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, I'm in. That's it. I'm That's in. I've done it. Enter password. I'm in. Cybercrime. You're a hacker. That's it. That's what hackers do. So there were so many movies. Have you seen these old-timey movies? Hackers, The Net, Sneakers. 
Have you watched any of no. these? <laughs> Sandra Bullock, Angelina Jolie. Yeah, these movies are amazing. You should go watch it now. They're fun. But of course, today when you watch it, all the tech stuff in there is so cringeworthy. It's comedy gold. It's amazing. You're like, what the f***? Zoom. Zoom. <laughs> Enhance. Enhance. <laughs> it's just magic. And who can forget the famous or infamous scene from CSI? Have you seen that one? That was a meme for a second, right? They're trying to locate some guy on, on the internet and one of the CSI agents is like, I'll create a GUI interface in Visual Basic to track his IP address. <laughs> if anyone works in tech, you know how dumb that shit is. That is utter garbage. That's nothing. <laughs> Okay, so that enter password screen, like back in the day, sure, it may have actually been like that because cybersecurity wasn't a thing just yet, right? right? It's all new. They don't have rules and regulations and they have no idea about how people could commit crimes on the internet or across networks and stuff. So a lot of the enter password crime was real. Most admins of networks and um, computer systems just used default and easy passwords like admin123 or password123. And mm -hmm. I confess, I have used these exact passwords in the past because <laughs> no. I was lazy. <laughs> I can't remember 100,000 passwords. I used to make so many email IDs back in the day, especially in the late 90s when I got the internet. So many email IDs. Just It was so exciting. I was like, wow, I can have any ID. I know. Do you remember any of your good ones? Iconic? Yeah, I've lost all of those accounts, but it'll give you an idea of who I've always been as a person. One of yeah. them was Jill the Ripper. <laughs> <laughs> wow, true crime to the core. Yeah, that was one of my first email IDs. Amazing. It was Jill the Ripper. <laughs> Not Jack the Ripper, but Jill, Jill the Ripper. <laughs> I think my first, it was longlivezombielamas at hotmail.com. You still like both of those things, zombies and llamas. So yeah. Very true to yourself. Mm -hmm. You've stayed true to yourself. We revealed ourselves in our early days email. Now everyone's just like, my name. I find that so creepy. People have their names and their email addresses these days. And, and Google, especially Gmail, wants to verify all that stuff. I'm like, get the hell away. Like, why yeah. do you need all our information? Back in the day, to sign up for email, you needed nothing. Yeah. Here's your email ID. Right. Now they want your like age, your license, and your SSN and your phone number. And I'm like, God damn, it is a different world today. Ooh, yeah. That, so here's another listener activity. Send us your first email IDs that you created. Oh my gosh. We should like do um, an Instagram post or something. Start a thread there. I want to see them. <laughs> Yes, I want to see all of your like crazy or funny or just bizarre email IDs that you made. Like the first ones you made back in the 90s or the iconic ones. Yeah, the iconic ones. Back when the internet was invented, it was mostly a U.S. defense project, yeah. like I mentioned. And slowly it gained public access and web pages began to pop up. Speaking of which, wow, we have a lot of sidebars in this episode. <laughs> but you know what? It's been a month since we recorded, so... Who cares? Yeah, let's make this a two-parter. <laughs> yeah, you can forward all of this if you don't like banter. I don't know if you were on the internet back then, Alex, like in the early 2000s, or were you just too little? I can't remember. I believe I was playing Frogger. Frogger? At that time in life. You just wear your frog <laughs> and you have to cross roads. That's what I was doing. 
so when the internet first kind of got popular, I would say like 99, 1998 to 1999, those couple of years, there wasn't that much on the internet. Like people made personal pages like you have Facebook and I'm sure people have heard of MySpace, but the precursor to that, there was something called Angel Fire. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Angel Fire, people made pages on Angel Fire using like basic HTML. Everything was in neon. Yeah. And yeah, the yeah. size of the text was at least taking up like a quarter of the page, like big, bold text scrolling across the screen. Right. And like heavy pattern backgrounds were at danger of having seizures the whole time. <laughs> if you went on someone's page on Angel Fire, it was incredible. <laughs> there was no Chrome. We used Netscape Navigator. Mm-hmm. And it was so slow. You had mm -hmm. to wait for the results to come back and it would load one line at a time. One line at a time. You're like, wow, this is so exciting. <laughs> you wait 15 minutes for a page to load. <laughs> yeah. It would just be a total, like, nightmare can you imagine the players from my Overcooked game waiting for a page to load? I don't think so. <laughs> I, I don't think so. They'd smash their computers. It's like a sleep paralysis nightmare for a Zoomer, this situation. <laughs> I did have one internet mishap around this time. Ooh. Didn't really understand the concept of a browser, so I just thought, you put whatever you're thinking about, dot com. You're not wrong. What I was thinking about was Sleeping Beauty. The Disney movie, because I really liked it at some yeah. point. I went through a phase. Yeah. But unfortunately, www.sleepingbeauty.com uh -oh. was porn. Oh, no. <laughs> so it oh, was no. Angel Fire and porn. <laughs> that was the internet. <laughs> That's right. With the internet came special techniques that criminals learned and came up with to gain access to systems. And social engineering is one of those techniques. Social engineering could be a hacker pretending to be a colleague or a manager or even a high IT help desk crew trying to fix an urgent problem on your machine. You give up control and bam, your Netflix accounts are now hacked. Another aspect of social engineering is enlisting people on the inside of organizations to be part of the crime and aid with all kinds of access to secured systems. These types of insiders, they aren't victims, but are criminals themselves for agreeing to commit to a crime mm -hmm. for some kind of benefit. Mm -hmm. Other insiders could be those that don't really know they are assisting in the crime. This would be people who click on things sent to them and open all kinds of websites that are not allowed inside of the office or company or whatever. And now you have a virus that screws up your entire system. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to call them victims, but I will call them stupid. Like, why are you doing this? It's a bit of a boob move. Dumb, dumb moves. In terms of technology advancements, we've come a long way from admin123 passwords. Now there are ironclad protocols in place in most banks and IT support systems to protect transactions. What I mean by that is payment transactions. Those are some of the most at-risk communications. You would think that there's enough security measures in place in these financial networks and systems, right? Mm -hmm. You'd think. <laughs> yeah. With all that money. Well, almost, but not quite. Now, I used to work in this sector, so I've seen both sides of the coin. Fintech? Fintech, yeah. I used to work in banking software for a long time. Okay. And I've seen 
the security in place, like they have very stringent security measures, but there are also bugs. Yeah. And although they are rarely severe bugs that are actually vulnerable, but they're there. And that's because humans are coding these softwares, right? Mm-hmm. Wherever there's human, there is flaws. There are possibilities for loopholes, which some might call opportunities mm-hmm. <laughs> to exploit. <laughs> the Bangladesh cyber heist was enabled by such human flaws, really. Yeah. The human element in this whole financial system is what led to this heist. Okay. And this is not something that took place in one one location. Like the crime just took place in one location and that's it. Nope. This was an operation that led the money all over the world and eventually led to a different country altogether. This massive cyber heist took place in 2016 over 35 transactions, payment transactions over the SWIFT network. Okay. Now, out of these 35 attempts, only five were successful before being discovered and halted. But the damage was done and the money was gone. Damn. All it took. So let's get into it. Now, money moves from country to country electronically through various dedicated networks, which means it's not over the internet. Okay, It's not over public communication networks. It's a private network and SWIFT is one of them. Okay. Back in the 1930s, most cross-border payments were done over something called a telex machine. Mm-hmm. Telex machines could send and receive text messages over a dedicated cable network, kind of like an early fax machine. Okay. So say the Bank of India wants to send money to the Bank of New York, they'd use a telex machine. So there would be a telex machine in whatever branch of Bank of India and a telex machine in whatever branch in Bank of New York. They would send a message saying, Dear Bank of New York, here's $100 for Mr. Patel's account in New Jersey. Hope all is well. Please do the needful. Give him his money. Okay, bye. Thanks. XOXO. Love Bank of India. Love India. And so when Bank of New York would get that text message over the telex machine, they'd transfer the money. The Society for Worldwide Interbank Financial Telecommunication, which is the full form of SWIFT, developed as a similar financial payment network in 1977. It was formed in Brussels, Belgium, to offer an alternative to the monopoly of the fully American-controlled institution called the First National Citibank of New York, which was the leading foreign transaction institution at that time. So these dudes up in Belgium, they wanted control out of the hands of the Yanks mm-hmm. and formed this cooperative society called SWIFT, which was eventually adopted by more than 3,000 members and 11,000 users in almost all countries in the world today. An average of 25 million transactions take place over the SWIFT network. Okay. What does this mean exactly? The banks and financial institutions that are members of this network, they pay a fee to be part of the network Mm -hmm. so that they can send and receive payments across borders safely. And payments do not go over the internet, but via dedicated cables. A lot of these are under-the-sea cables. What? Like physical cables. Physical cable. They own private networks of cables through which these swift transactions take place. So no one else has access to it. Do they just drop the lines into the ocean? Like, mm-hmm. 
are boats required for this installation? Uh, yeah, and deep sea divers, which get paid like a shit ton of money, oh shit ton of money, because it is a very, very, very dangerous yeah. job. These cables are not at like um, 20 feet deep or whatever. They are thousands of feet deep. There's so many really interesting documentaries about these deep sea divers. I want to watch. They lay cables and maintain cables under the sea. Oh. Even a lot of the internet actually goes through these cables. Not the same ones, obviously. A different set of cables. Who knew? Oh my god. Okay. So Swift owns their own private cable network like that. And the endpoints of those cables are Swift terminals, which are present in member banks and financial institutions. So if you want to make Swift payments, you have to have access to that network, right? Yeah. To have access to that network, you would have a Swift terminal, which is a computer that runs Swift softwares. <sighs> We're getting really getting into it too. Okay. So deep sea diving with the internet. Mm -hmm. Swift codes are international. AF. What else? <laughs> <laughs> Broad strokes here. <laughs> Terminals are present at each of the member locations to actually make those payments. Swift has its own software through which you make those payments. Yeah, so let's rewind to Thursday, February the 4th in 2016. Now, Bangladesh has a Friday-Saturday weekend system instead of Saturday-Sunday, which is the norm in a lot of Muslim countries. Right. Basically, countries where Islam is the majority religion. They have a different weekend system. So Friday, Saturday is what Bangladesh follows. So their weekday actually begins on Sunday. Right. So on Thursday, when employees of the Bangladesh Central Bank left their workstations for the weekend, they expected to be back for another routine week on Sunday. And indeed, it did seem mundane. Except for a little snag in their office in Dhaka. Question. Yeah. Since there's sort of like a missed day, do they run programs to make sure that they're still like keeping up with the market? Like, is, is there enough automated? This is a stupid question for a non-financy person, but... No, these are all the questions I had myself as well, but I'm not aware of exactly what systems they run. I would assume they do. Because they can't miss basically two banking days that they're off and then, well... They're on, but no one else is, right? Yeah, and you know what? All of these questions that you're asking are very relevant because they do play a big part in this crime. Okay, 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 yeah. Good thinking, Alex. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> so you're right. A lot of these banks probably do have automated systems to keep up with the markets. But it seems like in this case... They didn't. Not just them, but other banks who are part of the story also didn't really have an established system for these kind of rollover days. Okay. It may have exposed the vulnerabilities in that yeah. regard. When employees of the Bank of Bangladesh or the Bangladesh Bank came back on Sunday, they found a problem in their office. Mm -hmm. This special printer which printed out notifications of swift payment instructions that were sent and received. And the tray that Sunday was looking kind of strange because usually they'd have a dozen or so printouts saying, okay, you had a dozen payments come in and out through the swift system. This time, all of those pages were blank. They were blank. And that was odd for sure. Yeah. So the bank looked into the printer problem and they found that there was some kind of a software issue. 
Mm-hmm. So after a fix was made, suddenly the printer came back to life and furiously started to spit out a backlog of payment notifications back to back. Ooh, Just imagine yeah. the sound of the printer. Yeah. To their horror. They're like, what is going on? Ooh. The sudden flurry of activity started to alarm the bank officials now because all the transactions looked a little off. The amounts were strange to the order of tens of millions of dollars. <gasps> when there are payments of that size, usually both parties know it's coming or going. Yeah. This is a central bank. This is not a commercial bank. So the money going in and out of this bank is usually for government-related operations, right? $20, $30 million are not yeah. just going in and out all day. There were 35 payment instructions amounting to $951 million sent from the Bangladesh Bank Taka's SWIFT terminal to the New York Federal Reserve Bank. Bangladesh Bank has an account in New York at the U.S. Federal Reserve Bank, which is the U.S. Central Bank. Bangladesh Bank has an account there where it stores U.S. dollars. So they had nearly a billion dollars in that account. Yeah. The New York Federal Reserve Bank received 35 payment instructions from the Dhaka branch to transfer nearly all of that billion dollars <gasps> into accounts all over the globe. What? And so it was flagged because that's super fishy and none of the money went anywhere. No, in a perfect world, that's what would have happened. And probably today they have extra measures and that will not happen. But unfortunately, some of it did get through. Yeah. For the New York Federal Reserve, billions of dollars move around through them globally daily for trades and investments and stuff. And so... MBD, yeah. Employees see that kind of payment stuff going through all day. But even then, the Fed employees did notice that this was a rather large amount being moved by Bangladesh Bank. In fact, it would have drained the entire account. Okay. I said that only certain payments went through, right? Yeah, yeah. The payments that did get through were for 6 million, 30 million, 20 million, and 25 million. That totals $81 million. After these transactions, something looked off and the remaining payment instructions, so 30 other payment instructions mm -hmm. from Bangladesh Bank at Dhaka were flagged as suspicious okay. and they were halted from being sent out. But already 80... Okay, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. What were you saying? 81 million has gone. Yeah. And then they're like, oh, hmm, wait a wait minute. Wait a minute. 30 more of these, huh? So because it came from the Bangladesh Bank's account, it's not like it was a fraudulent account sending this money out. Right. Everything in the transaction looked legit. Like Bangladesh Bank wanted to send money out to other accounts. It's not the New York Fed's business what Bangladesh Bank is doing. Mm -hmm. But there were two problems that flagged the rest of the payments. Like, why were they flagged? Not just because of the amounts. The amounts were not the problem. Yeah. The problem, the smoking gun, so to speak, oh my God. was a word. Yeah. It was a word in the payment instruction. So any payment instruction that goes through requires the sender's information, the receiver's information, mm -hmm. bank accounts, branch information, name of the bank, address of the bank, mm -hmm. 
All kinds of stuff has to go in each payment instruction. And so the address of the bank accounts where the payments were being sent had the word Jupiter in it. Jupiter, like the planet. Yeah. And Jupiter just happens to be the name of a shipping company that's banned or sanctioned against in the U.S. It's an Iranian shipping company. Ooh, okay. So there is a list that the U.S. government or the U.S. Department of Justice maintains. Mm -hmm a list of banned companies and countries and financial institutions and blah blah all over the world and you cannot send money or receive money from these entities okay all banking softwares use that list to block payments to okay. these banned entities yeah so if you try to send money which has words that are in that banned list mm -hmm. your payments will be flagged flagged not like permanently canceled or whatever but they want to look at it and make sure it's not going to these banned yeah. entities now, Jupiter is the name of one of these banned shipping companies. So the payments were flagged for manual approval before being sent out. Okay. So it required a human to now look at this payment before it was being sent out. So far, it's all automated. Mm -hmm. The computer software is sending it. Another computer software is receiving it and sending it out to another computer system. There's no human intervention so far. Right. But after being flagged, they need a human to manually approve it. Isn't it crazy that you could like just send a billion dollars and a human person wouldn't even like have anything to do with that? I've seen these approval systems in software, in financial software, and boy, are they cumbersome to get through. But it definitely makes the system more secure. I don't know how Swift works. I haven't seen the Swift terminal and the Swift software. I'm sure it does have these systems as well. But the softwares that I have seen, they have a lot of approval systems in them. So some of them are set up so that two to three different human people have to approve a payment before it goes out and is released into accounts. Okay, so in this situation, was that happening? Were humans having to do any approval? No. It doesn't seem like it. Weird. But is that a New York Federal Reserve problem or a Bangladesh bank? Both. Okay, so they both were lacking in certain safety measures. Yeah. Okay. So inside all financial applications, there are fraud and risk aversion systems, which admins can configure to be less or more sensitive. Okay. By applying thresholds and checks and balances and all that stuff. Like any amount below or above a certain threshold coming or going from particular accounts or countries can be monitored closely and verify to make sure they are legit. I couldn't find any information about what was set up at Bangladesh Bank or New York Fed that led these payments through, basically. Okay. I don't know. I don't know what systems they had in place, but it seems like it was not enough. It was not good enough, in my opinion. <laughs> Meanwhile, my bank has like a 70 euro limit on the tappy tap thingy. If you tappy tap more, you know what I'm talking about, the tappy tap, right? Where you don't have to like uh, swipe your card. Swipe or insert or pin or you can just boop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I can't do that for more than like 40 or 50 bucks. Meanwhile. <laughs> <laughs> That's the difference between commercial banking and central banks exactly. doing stuff. This is your government as usual. <laughs> government systems, not the latest, not the highest in uh, terms of security or advancements in technology. Yeah. That's just how it is. Like, you see why the hackers chose <laughs> these particular systems. Yeah. 
it's all making sense. How did they know that like there wasn't going to be human safeguards? And that's kind of what's interesting. I bet the New York Fed did have a system that was configurable to catch all of these things. Yeah. It only kicked in after so much money was already gone. Now, this money was actually the, the money that did get through the $81 million. Mm-hmm. It went into the account of fictitious individuals in a totally different country. Can you okay. guess where it went? Guess. It is, mm. um, it is part of Asia. First thought was China. Mm, close. Uh, Nepal. No. Korea. Indonesia. Good guess, but no. Malaysia. Vietnam. No. Oh my God. Uh, Tibet. Tibet. I don't even know if they have banks there. <laughs> I don't either. Uh, Sri Lanka. Sri Lanka. Sri Lanka was one of the places money yes. was sent to. Okay. But it was caught there. It was the bank in Philippines. Oh, Filipino. Called okay. RCBC Bank. RCBC Bank. It's funny you mentioned Sri Lanka because... A fifth transaction worth $20 million was sent into an account in Sri Lanka for a charity organization called Shalika Foundation. This dubious payment instruction was routed to Sri Lanka's Pan-Asia Bank via Deutsche Bank in Germany. Isn't Deutsche Bank problematic on the... They do. They just got a lot of bad stuff. Harvey Epstein... No, Harvey Epstein? Jeffrey Epstein? Weinstein? Yeah. yeah. Deutsche Bank and HSBC have a bunch of uh, scandals in their past. That's for sure. They need to get their shit together. I have worked for a project for Deutsche Bank (laughs) in the past. Um, So anyway, Deutsche Bank was an intermediary bank, okay? So the New York Fed didn't have a direct connection to Sri Lanka's Pan-Asia Bank. So they used banks in the middle, like a middleman. Okay, yeah. And Deutsche Bank Germany was that middleman in this case. This $20 million was flagged by someone in Sri Lanka because, first of all, charities don't don't just receive $20 million, especially in countries like Sri Lanka. In South Asia, $20 million is a big, big, big amount for a charity. So they were suspicious right from the get-go. And then their suspicions were kind of heightened when they saw that the name of the foundation where they were sending the money was misspelled. The word foundation was spelt without an O. So it was more like foundation. Foundation! Sounds so cool. That's, it's so fun, this foundation. It's a foundation. Foundation. Where do we want this money to go? Send it to the foundation. Okay. This foundation? Foundation. When you send 20 million, you better know how to spell or at least know how to use spell check. Even if you aspire to be a dropout genius hacker, stay in school, folks. (laughs) You can't be. Yeah. You gotta gotta double check your spelling on that one. Wait, have we gotten... Are we getting back to the Jupiter thing? Uh, Yeah, we will. So these are the two... Okay. Red flags. These were the two red flags. Yes. The Jupiter thing and the foundation. Yeah. (laughs) Typo are what (laughs) kind of exposed this whole heist. This payment was stopped in its tracks and the money never made it into the account. They sent the money back to the New York Fed to give it back to Bangladesh Bank. Who? Pan-Asia Bank in Sri Lanka. Ah, they flagged it. Okay, okay. So the money never made it into the account. Damn, Sri Lanka was on it. Whoever discovered this in Sri Lanka... Damn. I'm sure the Bank of Bangladesh is very, very, very happy (laughs) about that. 
I hope they gave them like tip or a bonus or something. Yeah, right. It got him in the good books, hopefully. Well, Pia, so so how did the hackers even get into the system in the first place to do this? Right. Yeah, let's talk about that because so far we've only talked about the payment transactions that went out of the bank. But how did the hackers get into the bank? That is the question. Yeah. Are they in? No, not yet. But let's find out how. Now, these payment instructions took place in 2016. Yeah. But the foundation of this (laughs) cybercrime took place nearly a year earlier. Okay. In January of 2015, when several employees at that Dhaka branch of Bangladesh Bank, they received an email from someone. Uh-huh. called Rasel Alam, looking for a job at the bank. This was an unsolicited email, by the way. Okay. Now, attached to this email was a resume. And at least one employee at the bank downloaded that resume and looked at it. I'm in. And he inadvertently infected the bank's network with a virus. Can we start a, a soundbite where we just go, boob alert? <laughs> boob alert. Boob alert. I like the word dum-dum. Okay, how about like, mm, I learned in Spanish, mm-hmm. bobo means like halfwit, bobo alert, bobo, bobo. <laughs> Come on, we should make it desi. Let's call it buddu. Buddu alert. Buddu, buddu, buddu alert. Buddu alert. Okay. Some buddu at the Bangladesh bank wasn't savvy with all the security protocols at the bank. Bam, now you have malware designed to snoop and operate under the radar in your system. Insidious. So for a whole year, the hackers used that malware to look at how the employees at Bangladesh Bank used their system and sent swift transactions. Yeah. So they did nothing to draw attention to themselves, okay? They just watched. They just watched how the employees were using the system. Just hacking in doesn't get you anywhere. You have to know how it's used in a way that doesn't arouse suspicion when you actually use the system, right? It has to mimic. Yeah. It's like potentially smart. It's not a terrible idea. I bet they were feeling very clever. Yeah, there's some BBE going on here. Mm -hmm. Some big brain energy, that's for sure. So the hackers studied how high-value transactions are made, where the transactions are recorded in the database, and how they are reported on. You make a payment. What happens after the payment is made? There's a record of that payment. It goes into a database. Mm -hmm. There are audit systems and reporting systems, which the employees can click on and look at. Payments made today, payments made in the last week, payments made in the last month, payments in, payments out. So... All the audit information is right there for employees to look at. And the hackers found out all of that information, where that information is stored, how it's reported on. Because once you commit the crime, you need some time before that money is in your hands. Mm -hmm. How do you buy time? By deleting your tracks. You remove, you vanish, you disappear your tracks. And tracks, in this case, would be all that audit information. If you don't have info, you can't have a report on the info and then no one can see the report and raise an alarm. Right. The malware did several things on the day of the hacked payments on Thursday, Feb 4, 2016. The hackers took control of the bank's network 
they used stolen user logins and passwords to access the SWIFT terminal to set up the 35 payment requests with the U.S. Federal Bank. Then, that software deleted all the audit records of those transactions from the database, okay. which employees would have seen when they got back to work on Saturday, Sunday. Right. Then, the malware corrupted the software of the office printer, an HP LaserJet printer. Yeah. Which printed out a physical report, right? So even mm -hmm. if you delete it from a certain page on your software, that printer is printing out records of payments being sent out or coming in. In real time? Yes, okay. in real time. So they screwed up the software for the printer, which could no longer print out those records. So it yeah. was just printing blank pages instead of actual records, blank pages yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for okay. two days. They are feeling so clever. It's the Mr. Robot crew, and they're all mm -hmm. cool nerds or whatever, feeling very smart about themselves right now. Okay. So on Friday, Saturday, when these 35 payment requests went out, right? Thursday evening is when they made the request, the 35 requests mm -hmm. to U.S. feds. The printer printed out blank sheets of paper. The skeleton crew that was at the bank all they saw was blank papers print out, and they assumed it's some minor technical glitch with the printer, which would be fixed the next day, Sunday, when everyone comes back to work. But as we know, on Saturday, when the printer was fixed, the poor machine was a harbinger of horror for Bangladesh Bank. <laughs> <laughs> when they're like, printer, why aren't you working? And the printer's like, I don't know, fix me. And they're like, Click, click, click. Here, you're fixed now. All right. <laughs> 30 million, 25 million, 35 oh million, God. 6 million. Gone. Damn. One of the main reasons this heist took place rather smoothly is the ingenious exploitation of different time zones and holiday schedules mm -hmm. across three different countries. Bangladesh, New York, and Manila, Philippines. So when one bank was signing off for the day, the other one was just opening up. Right. And the flow of these fraudulent payments was facilitated by a severe lack of communication between these banks. Mm. So here's the short version of what happened. Let's go. Thursday evening, after hours, hacked payment instructions were sent out from the SWIFT terminal at the Dhaka Bangladesh Bank to the New York Federal Reserve Bank, where it was 9.30 a.m. local time. Okay. Beginning of the financial day. By Friday evening in Dhaka, some of the payments had already reached the recipient accounts in Manila, Philippines. Okay. So within a day, some of the money has already gotten there. Too efficient. On Saturday, the Bangladesh Bank employees came back to work and discovered the hack. They tried to contact the U.S. Federal Reserve Bank, but it was the weekend in <sighs> New York. Which just buys them more time to move the money, I guess, right? Yes, because nobody in New York was there to help them. They only had some numbers, like customer care numbers for the Fed at New York, and no one was picking up those phones. They didn't have, like, personal contacts at the bank to call and have them look into anything. How is that possible? This is an entire country's bank they should have a direct line all of the country banks should probably have a direct line right i wonder if this crime had an effect on how things work 
in the banking system. I bet they did. And this is 2016. This is like not long ago. This is crazy. Very worrying. Very worrying the way that gov- our governments are handling money. I don't know. It doesn't make me worried. It is taxpayer money that's being stolen. So you should be worried. Yeah, but it just, it, it makes it all just feel less real and more silly. That sort of gives me a strange sense of peace. Oh, it's not my money. It's the bank's. It's the government's money. <laughs> okay. Saturday, Bangladesh Bank is trying to contact New York. They can't. Sunday's closed. New York Bank's closed. On Monday, Bangladesh Bank tried to contact the RCBC Bank in Philippines, where the money had already made it to by that time. Mm-hmm. Now, Mondays are working day everywhere, all over the mm-hmm. world. But... It just so happened that on that Monday in Philippines, it was Chinese New Year, (gasps) which was a bank holiday in Manila. So apparently, most of the staff was out. They weren't working that day, and they weren't able to take care of this disaster at the pace that was expected. I mean, I'm happy for them. Like, let's take our holidays, people. But also, I'm happy for the people who weren't working and... I guess I'm happy for the hackers in the sense that they were smart, but I'm not happy about the taxpayer dollars, especially for Bangladesh. Like, what did the Bangladeshi people ever do? Don't answer that. I don't want to know. I Maybe they did something. It is a developing country. So even like 81 million for a country like, I don't know, UK or US, it might not be life-changing or life-altering but for bangladesh that is a lot of money yeah so by monday evening 81 million usd were swiftly (laughs) flown out of the rcbc bank swiftly i see what you did there (laughs) with no checks or verification by monday evening the money was in the account and out of the account yeah now from what i've read in different news articles the dispensing or withdrawals of such huge amounts from any bank are not just done with a single click of the mouse, right? You would need signatures or approvals from bank officials. Mm -hmm. If you try to take out 20 million from a bank account, trust me, you're going to get a call from your bank. Yeah. 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 They'll be like, ma'am, are you okay? (laughs) You don't have that much money. (laughs) Why are you taking 20 million out of our branch? Because it affects the bank's funds. So that's what's kind of interesting about what happened to a friend of mine is that more money than is actually in the account was taken. And yet he still has to like file a fraud case and prove that his data was stolen. Like, what are they going to do? He's going to go in the red for from being hacked. I don't get it. I don't know. This is why this whole money bank economy thing, I'm pretty sure it's all made up. It is imaginary, that's for sure. Sorry, sidebar. So because money withdrawal of these high amounts require approval from an official at the bank, someone was targeted at the bank to be responsible for this. And that one individual is the only person who has been criminally charged in this case so far. Who that? It is a woman Ooh. called Maya Santos de Guido. She was the manager of that RCBC branch at the time. And she was the one who had actually opened those five accounts into which the money made its way. 
she received four to seven years for money laundering <gasps> in this case. Oh, damn. Now, obviously, she is guilty in some regard, but she's not the mastermind, no. nor is she the end recipient of this heist. She didn't get anything from this $81 million that we know of. Did she even know what was going on when she opened the accounts? Officially, I don't think so. She testified in the Senate in Philippines, and she denied any knowledge of this criminal gang or whatever that was doing all of this. So she blamed another guy at the bank. Interesting. Saying, I did it because he told me, just go ahead and approve these accounts, blah, blah, blah. She is definitely being made a scapegoat, while many other participants in the heist haven't been prosecuted or charged. So and that's how it works out. Usually the women are the easiest targets, right? That sucks. I don't like that. Now let's look into the details of those transactions worth $81 million that got through. Those accounts that it made it into. Let's talk about them. So about a year ago in May of 2015, okay? So this crime didn't just happen overnight. There's a lot of planning yeah. that went into mm -hmm. this. In May of 2015, that branch manager, Maya DeGuido, she helped five people open bank accounts in RCBC Bank. It was later found that these people had submitted fake papers for fictitious identities. Okay. They deposited 500 US dollars into these accounts and left them alone, doing absolutely nothing okay. with those accounts until they got this jackpot deposit in Feb of 2016. Okay. Now, what happened to the money after they received it? Because you imagine a person would have gone into the bank with a suitcase and be like, give me my 25 million. I'm here to get my money. But that's not how it happened at all. And now is a good time to mention that Philippines has some of the world's strictest banking privacy laws. I'm talking like HIPAA level of secrecy. Okay. Basically, it's illegal to probe into, report on, or ever publicly disclose the details of any bank account in Philippines. This law is called RA-1405. It hinders a lot of reporting, especially investigations into financial crimes in Philippines. Interesting. Is this why there's a phrase about, like, sending money to the Philippines? There is? Did I just make that up? I'm pretty sure there is. Offshore account in the Philippines. I feel like that's come up in... In movies and stuff. Okay. I never thought about it, but it sounds right. <laughs> we'll be back after the short promo from Asian Madness, the podcast. Check it out. Ah, Asia, the land of contrast. So mysterious, so diverse, so peaceful, so safe. But seriously, is that how it really is? While Asia is 100% filled with amazing people, culture, food, and landscape, it is also home to crazy legends, superstitions, and of course, atrocious crimes. The Asian Madness podcast covers a wide variety of topics, ranging from silly weird things to unimaginable horrors. Why is a murder case nicknamed the Hello Kitty murder? Why do people avoid picking up random red envelopes on the streets? And who are the most infamous serial killers you've probably never heard of from Asia? If any of that sounds interesting, search for and subscribe to the Asian Madness Podcast on your favorite podcast app. So because you mentioned Philippines 
is known for, you know, money laundering stuff. I looked it up and Philippines is indeed on a gray list. Like it's not blacklisted. Yeah. Obviously. I mean, it's not that bad, but it is gray listed. Okay. Because it's vulnerable to money laundering. And I feel like it might be a tax haven too or something. Because unfortunately, this privacy law, banking privacy law, provides a cover for money laundering in the country because of how strict it is. A lot of senators in their government do want the law to be amended. And eventually, I I hope it is. Yeah. They do have an anti-money laundering commission. And they have several organizations listed by them that are required to report on suspicious or large amounts of money movements, as you will see. Either corruption or ignorance crept in there as well and left a huge door wide open for illegal activities to occur. Mm -hmm. So where did the money go? Where did the money go? Before the five accounts lay dormant for a year until when they received these massive deposits. On Friday, Feb 5th, the money had reached one of the accounts. The amount of $22.7 million dollars. But the remaining odd $60 million were still on the way into the accounts. So it takes some time to clear money. Yeah. Right? Been there. And so $22 million were cleared and they were withdrawn immediately. But $60 million were still not clear by Monday morning. Okay. They still needed some clearance at the bank level for the account holders to take them out. Bangladesh Bank had discovered the hack on Saturday. Okay, when they fixed their printer and all that stuff came out and they're like, oh, damn, we're dead. They actually sent a stop payment request to RCBC Bank on Monday. Okay, okay this is another financial messaging protocol, mm -hmm. which means stop this payment, which so-and-so transaction ID, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Don't send this money out. Mm -hmm. Basically, it's a formal request to stop the payment. Because of the Chinese New Year on Monday, RCBC Bank didn't have enough staff and nobody responded to Bangladesh Bank's request. Now, it's not like the bank was full empty and there's no one there. There is some staff. What happened with the money? It got cleared. It went into the account of those fake account holders. And they moved the money ASAP to a local foreign exchange broker company called Philrem. And then they consolidated the amount from five accounts into one. Okay. All of the money went into one account in pesos. That one account belonged to a Chinese Filipino man who promptly left with around 30 million of that money. He what? He took 30 million. Yeah. And he left. Left the country. Okay. Left the country. He just flew out immediately. <laughs> Okay. What happened to the rest of the money? The rest of the money was transferred into the accounts of two casinos in Manila called Midas and Solaire. Okay. Now, remember I said there's an anti-money laundering corporation or commission in Philippines that keeps a check on certain organizations in the country? Mm -hmm. They just happen to not regulate casinos. <laughs> Okay. I don't know why. Yeah. But casinos were not under that anti-money laundering regulation. And so they were not required to report large sums of money coming in or out of the casinos. Okay. Coincidence? I don't think so. Someone was aware of this loophole. 
And that's why the money was sent to casinos. So what happened at the casino? Some Chinese men posed as high roller gamblers went in to the casinos on Monday to gamble in private rooms. Now we're getting into the Ocean's Eleven territory. Oh my gosh. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So they hired private rooms called junkets. They're called junkets, but it's a private room where you do high value gambling. I think at this point they had like 30 million left. And so all of that money was transferred into casino accounts and converted into casino chips, which are active or usable only inside of those private rooms. Right. So you can control where the money is going, right? Okay. Those men can't just walk out with the chips and use it on the regular floor. It's only active inside of the private room. Okay. After the men pretended to gamble for a few hours, they cashed out their chips worth approximately 30-ish million and they left Manila. Gone. Boom. Out of the country. Wow. That seems clever too. This whole thing is, yeah. They left the country and were apparently traced to Macau in China, known to be a casino heaven. And from there, the funds were allegedly transferred to the home country of this hacker group. Which is China? No, no, I'll tell you in a little bit. Oh, okay. That seems very clever, too. The whole private room, cashing out the chips. Um, I've learned recently that Macau is a Portuguese colony. What? It's like uh, the Goa of China. That's amazing. I did not know that. I, it's very unexpected, really. <laughs> a Portuguese colony in China. Yeah. Um, we went to this restaurant who was trying to be like concepty and and like, you know, modern, but actually was just like, let's do a little colonial throwback and make food from all the countries we colonized. Um, and Macau was one of them. Interesting. That's a tidbit. I bet many of our listeners will learn through you, Alex. Thank you for that. Cool. (laughs) So where did the money go from there? Yeah. You want to guess, Alex? Where did this hacker group originate? Um, Guess. Well, let's see. We have Chinese men in the Philippines. Chinese Filipinos. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Are we going more north? Mm Mm-hmm. Really? Yes. Mongolia. Uh, come on. <laughs> With cute yaks. <laughs> um, Russian? No. Too far. Uh, oh, my God. Yeah. See, no one would guess this. Yeah. That's the thing. I was caught by surprise when I read this. So I, I get the befuddlement. So, annyeonghaseyo. It was North Korea. Alex. Oh, but we, as they say in France, of course. Annyeonghaseyo. Annyeonghaseyo. That's where the money went. North Korea. I don't think of North Korea as north of China. I mean, it's called North Korea. That's what I meant. Okay. Gotcha. (laughs) It may not be physically north of China. It's north-ish. Yeah, let me just Google North Korea and get on a list, I'm sure, at the NSA. Yeah, it's it's north-ish of China. You're right. It's on the northern part of China. Okay, maybe I was wrong. Well, yeah. Okay, North Korea. Should have guessed that, actually. Or should I have guessed that? I don't know. 
No, because North Korea isn't really known to do things like this hacky stuff. But it kind of makes sense. Like, who would attack a government in this, like, seedy, strange way? And like I said, they didn't really seem to give a shit. They didn't care what they were doing, and they didn't seem to have a fear of consequences. They're just, like, full-on evil stereotype. How do we be evil? Now, the FBI looked into this cyber heist, and they concluded that the hackers in this crime were the Lazarus Group, who also perpetrated the infamous Sony Pictures hack back in 2014. The Lazarus Group is alleged to be a state-run hacking group known to commit financial crimes to benefit their home country. Okay. Although I don't think they're actually benefiting the home country. Like, I don't think the people of North Korea are benefiting. They're just benefiting the whatever, holy leader. What is the name? The benevolent god child. Yeah, more burgers into the mouths of generals, I bet. But I don't think the actual people, everyday people in North Korea are benefiting yeah. from this at all. Pretty sure all major countries have hacker groups. Mm-hmm. But they work... To gather data, steal science, tech, medical, or war secrets. Not literally rob banks like Bonnie and Clyde. That just seems kind of petty to me, doesn't it? totally. Security firms who look into the hacks found North Korean IP address traces and similar code snippets in the North Korean language in all of the malware from different Swift hacks all over the world. So they kind of connected the dots and said the same group is doing all of these other financial crimes as well. They seem to love hacking the Swift network system. It sounds like it's tried and true for them. So one of the hacks they did was the Sonali Bank hack in Bangladesh in 2013. So this wasn't the first time this happened in Bangladesh. (laughs) Why are they picking up Bangladesh? Like, (laughs) poor Bangladesh. Leave them alone. (laughs) Leave Bangladesh alone. Come on. They're trying so hard. They hacked the Bank of Ecuador in 2016, Bank of Chile in 2018, a bank in Mexico in 2018 as well. So it's not like they just stopped after this insane caper in Bangladesh, right? They didn't just stop. Even though it was big news all over the world, all the banks are now, you know, on the red alert and cognizant of what's going on. But they didn't stop. They still did the same hacks all over the world. These hackers exploited human error and lapses in security, which pervades a lot of these developing nations. If you see the list, Chile, Ecuador, Mexico, Bangladesh. Yeah. So they're kind of going after countries where they expect there to be lapses in security Mm, in the systems. mm -hmm. And these are government banks, right? Mm -hmm. They know how governments work. So the U.S. Department of Justice has named an actual person in North Korea as the main suspect in these crimes, Park Jin-hyuk. If he ever travels to a country with U.S. extradition laws, he is toast. But I don't expect he would, because why would you? (laughs) You know you're a wanted man. Bangladesh Bank sued the RCBC Bank in 2018. How'd that go? 
they alleged that despite receiving the stop payment request from them on Monday, mm -hmm. RCBC Bank let the fake account holders withdraw huge sums of money. Yeah. This had to have been done deliberately with the help of an insider. Because like we discussed, someone has to approve that withdrawal. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that bank manager was the one that they pointed the finger at. Mm -hmm. Now, RCBC Bank says that she was a rogue employee. She did it all on her own. No one else at the bank is responsible. We didn't know what was happening, blah, 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 blah. So to that, I would say, if you allow one bank manager to have control of $80 million at your bank, I'm sorry, but that's a stupid bank. Yeah, that's a really big problem. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. It's too much power in the hands of one person. Yeah, that's almost worse than if they were collaborating. Although I guess if they admitted that they were like actively involved, that could be grounds for like war or something. So RCBC Bank countersued Bank of Bangladesh for $1.9 million for defamation. Wow. Oh, my God. This is turning into the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard trial. RCBC Bank's like, oh, Bank of Bangladesh, how can you make such a big noise about this? People don't trust us anymore because of this bank heist. Shut the hell up. You clearly had a lapse in your system to let $80 million out into the hands of hackers. So you deserve all the defamation you get. Yeah. Yikes. If anyone has their money in RCBC Bank, keep an eye on it. Be, be sure you're sure of what's going on there. Keep an eye on it. Yes. Keep an eye on it. I couldn't find any information on investigations into the other bank officials who may have signed off on the withdrawals, etc. I don't know if there's an investigation going on and they can't release the information or whatever. Corruption is rife all over Asia. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if people have been paid off or threatened to keep their names out of the investigation. Yeah. So all in all, they sacrificed the bank manager Maya Dekito at the altar of justice and called it a day. Done. She got four to seven years in jail. Bye-bye. It's Damn. over. Case closed. Nothing to see here. Nothing to see here. It leaves a lot to be desired. And I absolutely do not feel like there was any action taken at all. Yeah. But I, I don't live there, so I don't know. What do the locals think? I'd love to know. Any Filipino listeners? Yeah. Tell us. Tell us your thoughts. Careful, though. Have you been there? Have you been to Philippines? Yeah, back in the day. Don't they have a scary president? Isn't he kind of, like, tough? Or I guess he's tough on drugs or something. I think his son is contesting now, and I, I don't know if he won, but he also kind of has this similar stance hard 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 line yeah i don't live there so i don't want to say anything about it yeah let's just cut this whole part out <laughs> we're not smart enough to talk about this i'm sure it's a wonderful country yeah and like any other country there's problems all over the place so yeah nothing especially troubling about philippines in the least i hear it's a really nice country my husband's cousin studied there for like four years and he loves it he would love to live there, he said. Okay, so that was it. That was the whole case. Nothing really happened. The hackers got away with $81 million and one bank manager went to jail for a few years. We know nothing else. The money didn't come back except for that $20 million that came back from Sri Lanka. Mm -hmm. That's it. An honest bank. It's pretty nice. Refreshing. 
Pan-Asia Bank, like thumbs up. I'll be sending all my money to Pan-Asia <laughs> Bank if I ever have to send money to Sri Lanka. Okay, thoughts, Alex. What do you think? Here's a conspiracy. Wait, I'm, I'm, it's just coming to me, but maybe there was like the need for money to travel between these two countries in like a discreet way, but there was no discreet way of doing it. So they made this whole like hacking story up. To do what? I don't know. <laughs> what was the end game? It's <laughs> like moving money discreetly, yeah. but indiscreetly. They had to make it look like a crime because they couldn't actually say why. There was no good reason for Bangladesh to be transferring money to North Korea. So they had to create this crime. That's my conspiracy. Oh, okay, okay. I see what you're saying. Ironically, Bangladesh and North Korea actually do have diplomatic relations. It's not like they have no connections between the country. So they could just send money to each other? They probably could. But... Not through the U.S. Oh, uh, <laughs> there you go. See? And it's a bit sad that, like, this lady was scapegoated. Well, I guess seven years of her life was worth a lot, I hope. If she didn't get anything, she could have been threatened for all this. Yeah, right. That's what I'm saying. Like, I, I just wish that she got a cut of it. She got something. At least one million. Yeah. Give her a million. Throw her a, you know? a mil. Yeah, at least one million. Come on. She's going to jail for you. No one else has been to jail for this crime. Mm -hmm. $81 million. She's the only one in jail. Throw her a couple gold bars. I'm also wondering if this guy who's been named Kim Park Hyuk. Park Jin Hyuk. Park Jin Hyuk. Mr. Park. Maybe this is his life's dream, but you sort of have to guess that in North Korea he was somewhat mm, forced. Hey, net's not working. Internet's not working. Uh-oh. They're listening to us. Uh-oh. Yeah. We we said the special words. Dang it. The NSA has been monitoring oh, us no. this whole time. We're screwed. Since I mentioned Look, North Korea. I don't have any money, government or hackers. Same here. Come on. Don't hack us. We got nothing. We're reporting on you. We're, in fact, praising yeah. you. This is big brain energy stuff. Big brain energy. What were you saying about the hacker? Or the named hacker? Oh, I just feel like... It's not his fault that the government made him. I, I feel like probably the government made him do it, right? Yeah, I don't see too much free will happening, <laughs> being dispensed yeah. out or yeah. enabled in certain countries. So maybe North Korea is like the place to be if you're a hacker. Maybe just like hackers welcome. Annyeong haseo. Alex? I'm here, but... I don't know who else is here. Okay, let's see if that's better. I'm worried now. I'm going to be checking my bank account, like, every day. It's time for Bollywood Corner. Bollywood Corner. In fact, I don't think we should call it Bollywood Corner today because I have no Hindi movies to recommend. Both the movies I have today are from Tamil Nadu, which is Ooh. in South India. Is that Tollywood? No, I think it's called Collywood. Collywood, yeah. K-O-L-L-Y. Collywood. Okay. Collywood Corner. Collywood. First recommendation is for a movie called Chakra. 
This is a Tamil language film which involves regular crime that was carried out with the help of cybercrime. The basic premise is quite fast-paced and exciting. So on India's Independence Day, 50 robberies take place all over the city of Chennai. The main lead in the movie is a star cop. He has to figure out what's going on in his city and why. Because they all seem connected in a certain way. The best part of this movie is that there are no senseless song sequences (laughs) and no forced love interest story arc in the movie, which is amazing. I love that. What are you talking about? Where's my cheese? No cheese in this one. This is a low-fat, low-carb movie. Okay. South Indian movies, especially Tamil cinema, are fearless with their choices. Okay. This is still a movie. Fast-paced, exciting action movie story, thriller, cybercrime involved. Take a look. Cool. As always, if I can't find it on Netflix or Prime or Hulu or whatever, I just go to enthusian.com and it's usually there. So I'll add a link on, on our website, Crimes from the East. You can go check it out. The next movie is called Kannum Kannum Kolai Adital. This is a light movie, a comedy caper flick. The main protagonists are freelance software programmers who work from home and seemingly make a ton of money mm-hmm. to afford all kinds of luxuries. The exciting part of the plot is that these men are actually cyber criminals who hack into people's devices and steal information. They run online scams. They buy things with stolen credit card information, etc., etc., whatever. They're like hacker cyber criminals, basically. Okay. <laughs> now, their scheme is running pretty smoothly until they meet and fall in love with two women who are also like them, kind of struggling to get a foothold in the big city. Also, there's a smart cop hot on their trail, on the hunt, and getting closer with each crime that they commit. Now, I won't spoil the rest of the movie. Okay. Go watch it. It's pretty good. And this one is actually on Netflix. Nice. So, easy to watch. Kannum kannum kole aritas. Which means the eyes that steal each other or something to that effect. You know, okay. you look at each other... You steal a glance. It's pretty fun. I watched this movie last year. It sounds like a, a good one to watch with the with the mama. And that's it for Bollywood. Well, Hollywood Corner today. Hollywood Corner. Uh, any other thoughts on cybercrime, Alex? Cool. Things we should or shouldn't do. You want? You have some tips for our listeners? Um, you know, just go change your passwords constantly <laughs> so that you never remember them, and no one will ever guess them. Every single day when you wake up, first thing you do, change, change your, your passwords. passwords. <laughs> Don't make it admin123 or password123. Or do. Because who expects people to be that dumb? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Budu Awards going out soon. Don't hack us. Instead, go check out our website and follow us and leave us a review crimesfromtheeast.com as well as our Instagram handle at crimesfromtheeast you can support us on Patreon and other things as you will find on the website and also leave us a review, rate us on Spotify, give us all your love perfectly done Alex do all of those things or at least some of those things which Alex said because they are free and it's a great way for you to show us your support, your love. It encourages us to keep doing what we're doing because honestly, 
it is hard sometimes, you know, to find time to do this. And I'm like, is it even worth it? But you know what? With the amount of listens and downloads we've got in the past month, I am just over the moon. Like, thank you so much to all the new listeners who've come on and listened to like multiple episodes over the past couple of weeks. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you like, I hope you like us. You are awesome. You know what we should do, Pia? As part of our Patreon, we should offer the opportunity to have our patrons. Patron saints. Our patron saints bones erected in our chapel of bones. And where is this chapel going to be? My HOA will not allow this, Alex. (laughs) Fun place. Maybe it could be a cyber bone chapel. Okay. It could be some sort of, um, what's it called? NFL? NF- NFT? <laughs> it can be an NFL. You guys should all be scared. I'm going to hack the crap out of all of you, clearly, with my <laughs> amazing technology vocabulary and knowledge. Start a bone chapel. Bones from the East. Bones from the East. There you go. Bones from the East. Yeah, be careful with your money online when you're paying yeah. paying out, receiving money, change your passwords, clear your cash. Keep some under the mattress. That is the safest way, really. Buy gold, bury it. <laughs> yeah, take the money out of the banks, convert it to gold bars, and stuff it under your mattress. <laughs> you may not sleep well at night because they hurt, but you will sleep well at night because... They're safe with you. It's good for your back. Yep. There you go. I like that. I think that's where we end. (laughs) (laughs) Bad advice. Very bad advice from us. Don't take any of that seriously. But do take this seriously. Join us again next week for another episode of Crimes from the East. Your Daisy True Crime Podcast with a little masala and kitchery. Spice. (laughs) Namaste. Namaste. Bye. Bye. I'm in.